Bible Says, with Mike Hughes, author, speaker, and evangelist for the Spring Hill Church of Christ, Spring Hill, Louisiana. Make sure you download the note card for today's lesson by going to our website, michaelrhughes.com. Once you're there, click on Sermons which you'll see right below the photo of the Bible. Next, scroll down until you see the list of lessons and choose this lesson. To the right of the lesson, click Listen. Finally, at the bottom of the audio player, click Details, and then click the lesson title beneath the player and download the note card. Now, let's join Mike with today's message. By the time I was a senior in this high school, Warren Local High School in Vincent, Ohio. I had been wearing a necktie on Sundays since I was around 14. And that means I learned to tie a necktie when I was 14. One day we were sitting in a classroom and a girl named Becky McMahons, that was her where she had an English class. And it was free time. There were four of us in the room talking, and three were trying to tie a suitable knot for the neckwear of a dress uniform in the Navy. And they weren't successful. And each time they tried to tie this tie, it was a mess, and I would holler at them, To use a full Windsor, over and over, the same thing would happen. And I'd say, try a Windsor, full Windsor. And of course, the whole time I was trying to sound like I really knew what I was talking about, of course I didn't, and finally they had just, you know, got got exasperated and handed me the tie, and I tried to tie a full Windsor on a sailor tie. The tie was much too thick for the knot, and all I produced was a big mess. So, how often would we say, I wouldn't do it that way? I wouldn't want to wear a tie like that. And the translation of that statement would be, that is the wrong way to do it. If I did it, I would do it the right way. And quite often we say so in many words that, God, I do not understand the way you do things. And most often than not, you simply confuse me with the way you do things. And it's very evident to me that your way will not work. That's what we think. And so I can't understand why you do not understand that. So we say, God, I just wouldn't do it that way. You know, many times you've heard this statement saying hindsight is 20-20 or has 20-20 vision. 
when you look from the present back into the past, you can see everything clearly with perfect vision. You can look back and see so clearly what other people should have done to avoid problems or to make mistakes impossible. And if you're honest with yourself, you can always look back and see what you should have done or could have done. Now, while we can look into the past and see so clearly, we cannot see into the present as clearly. We rarely see the present as clearly as we see the past. And we never see the future as clearly as we see the past. So when we look at God's actions in the past, we can see so clearly what God was doing and marvel at God's wisdom. But those people for whom our past was their present really struggle to understand what God was doing. Abraham and Sarah struggled to understand why God waited so Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob never understood why God decided to work through Jacob instead of Esau. Is another thing we have. And surely there were times when Jacob's family wondered why God brought them to a home in Egypt through ten brothers selling Joseph into slavery. And there were times when the nation of Israel wondered why God led them into the promised land through the desert when they were a perfectly, there was a perfectly good highway that went along the Mediterranean Sea. So looking back, we see clearly what God was doing. God wanted Abraham and Sarah and later Israel to understand that God and nothing else made it possible for Abraham and Sarah to have Isaac. God used Jacob, not Esau, because God wanted them to clearly understand that the living God does things His way by His choices. He is sovereign. God rescued Jacob's family from a family a famine through the work of Joseph because God wanted Israel to understand that God alone took care of them and nothing else. And God took Israel through the wilderness because He wanted Israel to understand that they could depend on God for every need. And it's not difficult for us to look back and see what God's purposes were you see, because we have the advantage of 2020 hindsight. But obviously, it was confusing and unthinkable to those who lived the experiences. Now, I want to point out to you, though, nothing has changed at all. The apostles and the few remaining believers did not understand the resurrection, the crucifixion. To them, the crucifixion made no sense. To them, what made sense was to make Jesus a physical king of Israel. To them, not even the resurrection made sense. How could God use a dead man who was resurrected to produce a kingdom? So it makes sense to us because we look back on the events. 
we have the explanation. We have the advantage of 2020 hindsight. But it did not make sense to those who experienced the moment. So I say simply, just look at us now. Just look at us. Looking back, we understand what God was doing in Abraham's life and it makes sense. Looking back, we understand what God was doing in Jesus' death and it makes sense. But how many times do we think, God, whatever are you doing? We have great hindsight. But we're almost blind when we look at the present. How many times do we think, God, whatever are you doing? You're making a mess of my life. You're not responsible, responding to my prayers. Your answers to my prayers do not make sense. What, are you, what you're doing does not make sense. Again, we have great hindsight, but we're almost blind when it comes to our present. Now, I want to take some time this morning, in this lesson, to look at the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Allow the prophet Habakkuk to teach us a powerful, needed lesson. Now, the situation in Habakkuk's day, things had been very evil for a long time. Wicked conditions were getting worse. But, and, he, and he says in Habakkuk 1 verses 1 through 4 that these situations are so bad, but God, you're not doing anything. Notice what he says here. He says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. In other words, God, you're not doing anything. So the law, he said, is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now that's his question. That's how he starts. Judah is filled with wickedness, violence. Conditions are horrible. And he said, I cry out to you about it, but nothing happens. Now, God answers. Notice verse 5 of Habakkuk chapter 1. Look among the nations. And see, wonder, and be astonished, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For, I, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize and dwell among their own. He says, I'll do something. When I do, you'll be utterly amazed. I'm sending the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to destroy Judah with horrendous violence. Now notice what else he says here when we look at verse uh, 6, verse 7. Verse 7. Here's how he explains the Chaldeans. They are dreaded, fearsome, 
Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. The Chaldeans are going to take care of it. They're coming. God says, I'm raising them up. And when I do, you'll be utterly amazed. Well, Habakkuk is dumbfounded. Notice verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? And he says, And remain silent when the wicked shall swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like the crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices his net and makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and by his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? He says the Babylonians are horrible, ungodly people. How can a holy God use such an unholy people to punish people who are not as wicked as their aggressors? He's dumbfounded by it. The Babylonians catch nations like fishermen catches fish in a net. They're mean. They're successful. They worship their net and they call it their God. And will the Babylonians just go on slaying nations forever? So Habakkuk, so Habakkuk declared that he will sit in his guard post until God explains himself. Verse 1 of chapter 2, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So God answers him once again. He said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor. An arrogant man who is never at rest. 
His greed is wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people. He said, Woe to the Chaldeans! Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will spoil for them. Be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be able from the reach of harm, to be safe from the reach of harm. The Babylonians are horrible, ungodly people. It'll go on just slaying and slaying. That's what Habakkuk says. But God's answering him. God says, You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have fortified your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people label, uh, labor merely for fire? And nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself. Show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The righteous person lives by trusting me. The just shall live by their faith, as you saw he said in verse 4. All I will explain to you, he says, is that Babylon will also pay the penalty for their wickedness. He says, write that down. So Habakkuk responds to God's answer by offering prayer. Here's his prayer. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years revive it. In the midst of the years make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light rays flash from His hands, and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered and everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariots of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You spilled the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and, and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You cursed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the secret you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Now that was Habakkuk's prayer to that answer that God gave him in chapter 2. God, he says, you're too glorious and awesome for me to figure out. Dealing with this world's wickedness is your business, not mine. Isaiah said God's ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. You are God, Habakkuk says. You are the sovereign of creation. And it's not my place to question your work. That's what Habakkuk says in his prayer. Well, let's look at his decision in the end of this chapter. He said, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And so Habakkuk rejoices in the Lord. Look, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. He says, if even if all that happens, I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. So that's what he does. That's what we find in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. His decision, no doubt, that God would be precise, do precisely what he said he would do the Babylonian army would violently, horribly destroy Judah. He was certain that it would happen that he trembled inside. He was so certain that it would happen, his lips quivered and he felt like his bones were rotten. And Habakkuk said that he would just wait for it to happen. What a horrible experience that must have been. He understood the righteous people live by faith. He would trust God. This was his decision. If all the crops fail, there's no food. If all the livestock die, which meant if our entire economy failed, I will rejoice in my God. No matter what happens, my God is my strength. I will trust God even when I cannot understand it. And you know, that's what we need to do today with this pandemic that's been going on. Trust God when we don't understand what's going on. If God revealed to you personally how He would respond to growing evil in this nation in the future, it would blow your mind. If God revealed to you personally how He would respond to the wickedness in your extended family in the future, it would blow your mind. If God revealed to you how He would respond to the indifference and ungodliness in your immediate family, in the future. It would blow your mind if God revealed that personally to you, to each of us, let me predict what our most common reaction would be. Our reaction would be, how can the Holy God use those methods to address that wickedness? That would be our question. But if you can know what would happen because of wickedness in our nation, our families, and if it shocked you and astonished you, what would you do? Would you understand righteous people live through every experience in their life by trusting God? That's what we're to understand. And that's what we're to do. The book of Habakkuk is a book that is very relevant in today's time. With the pandemic going on, with the election upon us, and by the time you hear this and watch this, you'll probably understand who's already won. But whoever wins, God is still in control and we must live by our faith. And that's what we see. So, is that what you would do? Would you just trust in God? That's what you need to do. And we start doing that by obeying the plan of salvation. Asking the question, what must I do to be saved? We must hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is what's important. Not what man says, not the terror we hear 
from the prognosticators what might happen, civil war might come, all those things that's being touted. But we must live by our faith. We must hear the Word of God. Our faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said you'll die in your sins, for unless you believe I'm He, you will die in your sins. And by faith, repent of our past sins. The time of this ignorance God overlooked now commands all men everywhere to repent. Confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Peter said, Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is salvation. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, salvation. Romans 6, 3 through 6, we see that baptism is a burial. We're buried with Him by baptism into death. And we see that we get into Christ through baptism. And we find that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28, for in Christ Jesus you're all sons of God through faith, again, for as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. And we find we've been buried with Him in baptism as we're raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And we're to live by faith. We're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Peter said, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Now, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that is blind, he is blind that he was cleansed from his former sins. He's forgotten that. And therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm or make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So no matter what circumstance we see today, God is in control. This has been The Bible Says with author, speaker, and evangelist Mike Hughes for the Spring Hill Church of Christ, meeting at 405 Butler Street in Spring Hill, Louisiana. You wash your sins away, then walk in His light upon your heavenly way. We offer numerous resources on our website at michaelrhughes.com, M-I-K-E-A-L. MichaelRHughes.com. There you'll find tracks, workbooks, and past sermons to help you in your spiritual growth in Christ. If you're in the Spring Hill area, we invite you to our service on Sunday at 945 for Bible class. 
10.35 for morning worship, and again at 6 p.m. for evening worship. Wednesday, we meet at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible study. We invite you to subscribe to our email list to be notified of new material added to our website by writing to macmichael at me.com.